Hi, my name is Scott Sweeney from Palm Desert, California. Welcome everyone, all three of our churches in Palm Desert, Riverside, and Rancho Cucamonga. A special shout out to all the moms out there. We really want to honor you today. Please, if you have your mom in your room with you, turn to her and say, I love you. That's great. We can't say that enough for all the gratitude that they've done for us. We want to thank especially and encourage our new moms. You bring in the new, a joy into the world. What an amazing time for you. Thank you also to our single moms who are truly heroes to me and all that you do to work and raise your kids and love you, love God and, and do all that you do. You are truly amazing. And also for those of us who are remembering moms who can't be together today. It can be a bit of a sad time, and I pray that we remember all the amazing memories and look upon that with joy today. In our household, we came up with a mom of the year, and our mom of the year is DeAndre Schwab, who is my sister-in-law, who is an amazing uh, woman, who is super loving, hardworking, and has really held her family together during this past year in an amazing way. So our hearts and our shout out goes out to her in a special way. I pray that all of you moms enjoy the day and that everyone else will treat you with the respect and love and encouragement that you deserve. As we get started today, we're going to be continuing our Peace Under Pressure series. I want to thank Stuart for kicking us off in an amazing way last week and talking about God's victory, even through hardship and imprisonment and suffering and just how God is going to deliver us. What an amazing start that he's given us. Today, we're going to be looking at Philippians 2, and I call it the Prince of Peace. And the chapter is really focused on Jesus. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. And as we get started, please join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time to be together. I pray that you open up our hearts, God. Help us to see you in a new way. Help us to understand what the Christians were going through in Philippi and Paul who wrote the letter. But most of all, help us to focus on Jesus. Help us to gain strength from him and motivation and desire as we focus on him and help him to guide us all throughout our days and weeks to come. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. I pray you encourage the moms in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being here. I'm going to start off. I want to tell you a story. How did Paul get in this situation where he's writing this letter to the Philippians? I don't know if you've ever wondered that, but it's quite an amazing story, and I want to tell it to you now. So Paul started out, as a super zealous Jew, and he wanted to kill Christians. And that I think a lot of us know about that, where he was going from house to house, that he had Stephen stoned. He was on his way to Damascus, and he became the first person ever to be knocked off his high horse. And that's actually where we get the saying today. And I believe that he spent his life searching for the humility that only God can provide and I, that was his struggle from that point on. And I believe that God used him in an amazing way as he overcame this part of his character. So he goes on all these journeys to spread the gospel all around. And his second journey, he wants to go into Asia. And he's determined, God wants me to go this way. And over and over, God says, no, I don't know 
if God just knocked him on the head again or what it was, but it says that God clearly denied his request to go into Asia. You know, sometimes God says no to us when we really, really, really want to do something. And I think even now we really want to get outside. We want to see each other. We want to do fun stuff. We want to celebrate our graduations and birthdays. And for whatever reason, God is saying no. And I believe that he wants us to look to him, that he wants us to look up and and ask for guidance, that he he wants us to look around and appreciate the blessings that we have and all the good things that he's given us and really give praise to him. But that was difficult for Paul, as it is for me and for some of us to stay put and go where God wants us to go. But God had a dream that this man in Macedonia that said, come help us. So they went over there to Macedonia where Philippi was, and he met Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. And it was an amazing time. God opened her heart. Her whole family became Christians, and things were looking up. But then the trouble started. And wasn't that how it was with Paul, wherever he went? It was going great, and then all of a sudden it turned, and it looks like a bad ending. But here there's this woman who has a spirit that predicts the future in Philippi and she's following Paul and his companions around for a number of days telling everyone these are servants of the most high God telling you the way to be saved and just over and over and I'm surprised that it took Paul a few days if you can imagine just how monotonous that would get and how disruptive that would be as you're trying to meet people and trying to share about Jesus but finally he just has enough And he drives the spirit out. And that is when it started to go badly, or so it seemed, that he was arrested and ended up in jail. And we're going to call this a bad jail because it wasn't one that was a jail for Roman citizens. It was probably a a jail that was a lot worse. And so we'll call that a bad jail. And you'll understand why later. And so you can imagine Paul sitting in jail wondering, God, you told me to come over here and help people. And I'm in jail. This isn't what I signed up for. I was supposed to be helping people and driving out demons and healing. And all of a sudden, I'm here in a jail cell. You think that he could have felt sorry for himself. I know I can feel sorry for myself sometimes and wonder, God, I'm trying to do good. How come this isn't happening? How come it's taking so long? And why is it so difficult? And yet, was that Paul's attitude? No. When he was in jail, him and Silas were singing songs of praise to God. I can't believe it. It seems almost unrealistic that he's just like a super Christian, but he was. He must have been caught up in the spirit because I don't know that his sinful nature would go there, but he was singing to God and then all of a sudden there's an earthquake and all the prison doors are open and they're free, but they don't leave. I mean, you would think that if God opened the door that you would leave. I mean, Peter and John in in Jerusalem, they left, but they stayed put to save the jailer who was going to kill himself because that was the penalty for letting prisoners escape. And they stopped him and showed him that kind of concern and love. And then him and his whole family became Christians. And it was an amazing story. So that was the backdrop of their first visit, his first visit to Philippi. And he's gone there one or two more times. He was there on the third journey as well. And here we are uh, on the third journey. He ends up in Jerusalem and he is friends with 
some Gentiles and the Jewish people aren't happy with that. And he gets charged with defiling the temple, which was a really bad thing at that time, and put in jail. And then he finds out that these bunch of radical Jewish men plan on killing him on his way to court. And so he ends up appealing to Caesar and ends up in Caesarea, which is another thing altogether that there was this amazing boat ride and there's a shipwreck and he does, God does amazing miracles. Some people call that his fourth journey because it was such an amazing uh, time. But anyway, so he's in Caesarea for two years and justice still doesn't come. He's waiting and it's just slow and happening. And finally he realizes it's not going to happen. So he appeals to Rome. And then he ends up going to Rome, which is where he wrote this letter. And you think about what was going on here. He had been in jail for two years already. And then he was in Rome in jail for two more years. So four years of lockdown and not even like we're experiencing. But he had he was chained to Roman guards at that time. And he was literally suffering. And at different times, he says he was in prison for Christ. That he was an ambassador in chains, that he wished that any, everyone could have what he has except for the chains on his, on his feet. And so many times that he had a chance to feel sorry for himself, but he didn't. He turned to Christ and he started spreading the gospel. And because he was a Roman citizen, he was allowed to get visitors and he wrote letters and he reached the Roman guard, this praetorian guard which was an elite group of soldiers, about 10,000. And so they were, there was testimony about Christ with all these warriors. And he says, even the household of Caesar knew about him. And it, it implies that even people within Caesar's household had become Christians. And so he was suffering, but he was also spreading the gospel. And when the book of Acts ends, in Acts 28, it ends kind of abruptly. And it just says that Paul stayed in the rented house preaching the word of God boldly and without hindrance. So it just gives you the flavor that, man, this guy was on fire for God, and he just kept preaching. And then uh, it, it goes to reason. Everybody was in jail at that time either for two reasons, either to go to court or to get killed. And so the implication that Paul went to court before Caesar and was actually let go. And he went on his fifth journey to Spain. And some people think he went to England as well before he was killed a couple years later. But the book of Acts kind of ends abruptly. And he had these amazing friends along the way. I mean, right now we are reminded of these amazing friends that we have, aren't we? When we can't see them physically and we're meeting with them on Zoom and we're, we're talking on the, on, on the phone and FaceTime and all these new apps that we never, some of us never even knew existed. But he had friends like Luke who was with him. He was his doctor and staying with him in the house arrest there. Aristarchus from Thessalonica. Timothy, we've all heard of Timothy, who said that he has the same heart as Paul, that he's like a, a true son in the faith. Tychicus, Onesimus, who was a, a slave who escaped from Philemon. And the book of Philemon is, is a letter written about him. And Epaphras and John Mark, who he says, please bring... Have John Mark come and bring my scrolls. And Epaphroditus, who was a member of the church in Philippi, who was the one that brought the gift to Paul so that he could buy food because he was a Roman citizen. He could use that to buy the Uber Eats, 
get people to come and help him. And so he went to visit him. He almost died. And then he went back to Philippi and brought this letter with him. So quite an amazing 10 years that Paul had. Four of them were in prison, but just victories and challenges and persecution. And, you know, I think we have it bad. But if you can imagine his life for a moment and the way that God had brought him through in an amazing way and the friends that he had and and the fellow workers. And you could see why they were so close and so connected. So that's the backdrop of this story. My first thought for you is that peace comes from Jesus. You might think, wow, that is not a radical thing. We're here watching a Christian service and you're telling us that peace comes from Jesus. That's pretty obvious, right? That, that's, that goes without saying. But even then, he had to remind them of where their peace came from. And let me start reading in Philippians 2 and verse 1. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. That here he's reminding them that if you have any of these things from Jesus. Please Remember the things you have from Jesus. Obviously, they have an overflowing well of all these amazing gifts from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit, love, joy, and peace. And today we're talking about peace under pressure. And he's focusing on Jesus. How much peace did Jesus have under the most extreme and excruciating pressure-filled times? And here Paul was showing that same kind of peace. He said, if you have any encouragement, We have so much encouragement from Christ through the spirit and through the word. We just read it and he just builds us up. The word encouragement comes from the Greek word paraklesis, which means drawing near. And not just that we get sympathy. It's not a word of just sympathy, but it's a word of strengthening. That when we draw near to Jesus, that he strengthens us in our spirit. And when they translated that word to Latin, it can't, it turned into the word fortis, which is where we get the word fortify. So it talks about the strength and bravery that Jesus gives us, that the encouragement to be strong, to be brave. And that is the encouragement that he was giving to the Christians at a very challenging time. He also says, if you have any fellowship with one another, if any sharing in the spirit, if it comes from the word koinonia, which means a spiritual sharing of things in common, a deep connection and bond that we are going through this together, that our brothers and sisters around the world are going through same kind of things that we are. And even worse, in the third world, some of our brothers and sisters are even going through worse things. So please keep them in your prayers and keep close to one another, but don't we appreciate the fellowship now? I think before I could just take it for granted that it was time to meet together, it was time to go to church, and now there's a deep longing to be together and a connection to know that we all share in something special together. And he says, if you have any compassion, and you think about God is in 1 Corinthians 1, 3, he says, I am the God of all compassion. 
that when he looks at your life and he looks at mine, there, there's, a, there's a connection. There's an understanding. There, there's a, there's a, a sharing that God feels for us. There's a, there's a sympathy. There's a compassion that he wants to help us. And that word, wiktirmas, means a compassion that comes from deep in our chest. That there's, it, it, it's moving and motivating. Like when someone that you know and you're close to is in trouble and, and you want to help them, it's that kind of feeling that God has towards us. I believe right now more than ever, God wants us to know how much he cares and how much compassion and encouragement and sharing that he wants to give us, how he wants to carry us through this time. And he's reminding them this so they can drink deeply from the well that is Jesus Christ, that we can fill up so that his love and compassion can come out of us and really fill us up from the inside out. He wants them and he calls them to be of one spirit and one mind. That there were actually, during this time of pressure, there were some divisions in the church, there were some arguments, and maybe you can see that even in your own household, that there's some challenges, that things are coming out, that God is squeezing us and he's wanting us to draw nearer to him so that we can stay united during this difficult time. In Isaiah 55, it says that God and Jesus is the, the, a deep well that we, he wants us to come to him and eat and drink without cost from him who truly satisfies. Let's not turn to other places to get our satisfaction or to find our peace or to find it in distraction or buying things. But let's turn to Jesus and find the peace that only comes from him. My second thought, we're going to read verse 3 through 8, is peace of mind. Peace of mind. It's a, Peace of mind is defined as a mental state of calmness, tranquility, freedom from worry. Don't worry, be happy, man. Just the idea that, man, God has got us covered, that I don't need to stress, that he has got me and that I can trust that he is going to get me where he needs me to go. Let's start reading in verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who in being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Peace of mind. Isn't that what we want? We want to know that God has got us. We want to know that everything is going to work out, that he is using us, that he's got us in the perfect place and he's going to make everything work out for good. This is the time where people are seeking peace in all the wrong places. And from this passage, I get that it's not the seeking peace, but seeking the mindset of Christ that gives us peace. So if we seek after 
the end result, if we seek after peace, we're not going to find it. But if we seek after the mindset and attitude of Christ, the byproduct of that is that God fills us up with a peace that passes understanding. That's an amazing, amazing thing. It says, Paul says that this will bring him personal joy, kind of like our kids getting along. When we see our family getting along, loving each other, serving one another, and expressing gratitude, doesn't that make you feel good, Mom? Oh, that is just heaven. And that is what Paul was saying. When, when God's kids get along, it gives him a personal joy, and I'm sure it brings joy to God's heart when that happens. But he says the... Uh, Killers of this are selfish ambition. He said, don't go after yourself. That's the flesh and advancement and position. And how am I going to take care of myself and not trust God? Don't go, no vain conceit. And conceit is excessive favor, an excessively favorable view of yourself uh, or yourself or your importance or wit or ability. You know, in our house, I think I'm probably the chief offender of having vain conceit. That when I do something good, I kind of pat myself on the back and try to get encouragement from everyone else in the house. That's not a good thing. Hopefully you don't do that. But I've been making breakfast over this quarantine time, and I find myself at times going, hey, don't you want to give me some encouragement because I made you that awesome breakfast? You know, don't you want to, I try to lift myself up. You know, I did a, I did the dishes. Can you please give me some honor? You know, we're not taking score. I don't want to keep score because I, I do things way less than everyone else in my house. But the few times that I do do it, I want to pat myself on the back. And I don't want to go after encouraging myself. I want God to lift me up. And I pray that you take that to heart as well. It says to esteem others greater than ourselves. And to me, that's what our moms are, aren't they? They look out for everyone else in their house and put themselves last and don't get many thanks. A lot of times, maybe your mom does, but a lot of times it's a thankless job, but that's why we love them so much. To me, that is the best marriage advice as well. Think of your spouse more highly than we think of ourselves. Whatever they want to watch, watch that. Whatever they want to eat, watch that. Whatever, you know, whatever meets their needs, let's do that first, and then I'll get to my own needs. And yet, there's a fear in doing that, isn't there? I fear if I meet everyone else's needs, then what's going to happen? Then my needs are going to be left behind. Then I'm worried that I'm not going to be at peace because I'm seeking the peace of everyone else. That is the exact opposite of how God works. When we seek the peace of others and imagine them returning that and seeking the peace of you, then everyone in the house is looking out for one another. And that's what the joy and the unity that comes from that peace of mind that only God can give. This idea of humbling themselves and the idea of being lowly in mind. In the first century, that was seen as really bad, not something to be esteemed, but something to be avoided. And I know in my mind, that is a 
that doesn't sound good at all. Let me have a lowly mind. It's kind of like the Beatitudes. It's like the opposite of what you want to do is what God wants you to do. Be poor in spirit and you'll be close to God. Grieve and he'll fill you up. You know, mourn and he'll give you joy. Those are not things that I want to do. Just like humbling myself is not my first reaction when I get up out of bed every day. But in the same way, he's reminding the Christians in Philippi, do you want to be citizens of Rome or do you want to be citizens of heaven? Do you want to be brothers with your fellow citizens? Do you want to be brothers with Christ? That Imagine that when all of us are not looking out for ourselves, there's no battles. There's no fights. There's no disagreements. In fact, James 1 said, don't fights and quarrels come from the desires that war and battle within us. That we fight with each other because we're looking out for ourselves and we're trying to give ourselves peace rather than trusting God to meet our needs. The word for Jesus emptying himself is quinoa, quinoa. And this song, this, these five verses is actually called the kenosis song that many people think the early Christians sang this song about Jesus emptying himself for all of us and demonstrating his love in that. And in my sinful nature, that is not a song I want to sing. But I know and I've seen that God blesses us when we humble ourselves and let him lift us up. When you think of, think about Jesus, did he humble himself? He came down to this earth from heaven. And not only that, he came to an obscure place called Bethlehem. He was born into poverty. He was born into a people that were occupied by another people. He was born as a child with the lowest on the totem pole of his day. He, he was humble enough to learn his trade. He was humble enough to wait a long time before he started his ministry or revealed himself to the world. He was humble. He walked with humble companions. His audience was humble. Tax collectors and sinners, they were called. He was humbled by his weakness, being a man. He was hum humbled by his, his needs, his hunger, his thirst, his tiredness. He humbled himself into total obedience to God and the Holy Spirit even to death on a cross. And this is the part that really got their attention, that it's like gasp, even death on a cross, because everyone in Philippi, they were Roman citizens. They could not be crucified. They That was their right. But Jesus went to the cross where they couldn't. Jesus was worse than them. Jesus humbled himself worse than all of us put together. He was shamed. He was publicly beaten and humiliated for things that he didn't do. In the worldly view, he was on the lowest rung of the ladder to heaven to demonstrate his unlimited love, his unlimited humility, and God's unlimited power to lift him up. He didn't crown himself. He didn't raise himself from the dead. He trusted God to lift him up. If you can imagine the people in Philippi, their view of Christianity through Paul was one of victory. 
Paul was in jail and they started singing and the earthquake came and everything happened and it was like this glorious movie. And so that was the God that they wanted. And yet now Paul is reminding them that that was what happened then, but Jesus is also a humble man. He came to humble himself so that God could lift him up. It doesn't always end the way we want it to end. That if we seek the our way, we seek our version of peace, our attitude, we won't find it. But if we seek the attitude and mindset of Christ, we can find a true peace that passes understanding. And we ask ourselves, how can I serve? How can I please God? How can I meet needs? How can I serve my family? How can I serve those that I know and my friends? How can I empty myself for Christ so that I can experience the joys and the, and the beauty of being connected and being close to him? That's the challenge for you and for me. Will you humble yourself? Will I empty myself because of Christ? to experience the joy and the peace that he promises. I pray that we do so that God can ultimately lift us up. My third thought is the Prince of Peace. Let's read in verse 9. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus ended up as the Prince of Peace, and we could even say the King of Peace. That every knee would bow, that he was super exalted by God and given the name above all names. That he was able to be worshipped by everyone, that every knee would bow in heaven. Every knee in heaven will bow before Jesus and say, Jesus is Lord. That every knee on earth will bow and say, Jesus is Lord. That every knee under the earth will bow and say, Jesus is Lord. That he is who he said he was, that he did win the victory. And for some of us, and for hopefully all of us, my prayer is that that will be an exclamation at the end of it all, that we can say, Jesus is Lord. And that will be to his praise and glory that we will be with him and be able to exclaim that joyful proclamation. But for many, it will be a proclamation of defeat and despair but it will still be their proclamation that Jesus is Lord. That I missed that opportunity, that I didn't see it when I had the chance, that I looked for my own peace and I didn't turn to God, I didn't turn to Jesus for peace. In Isaiah 45, 23, it says, Before me, every knee will bow and will acknowledge that Jesus is God, that salvation comes from him. In that time, everyone was required to take an oath and burn incense to Caesar and say, Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And yet, in the end, everyone won't say Caesar is Lord. They'll say Jesus is Lord. 
that he is victorious, that he's already won. And this wasn't just to educate them and just to give them some knowledge that they would know. This was to equip them to endure hardship, to go through the challenges that they were going through in life, to understand Paul's hardship and to put into practice Christian unity, even in hard times, to have patience, to have humility of Christ, to be obedient and to be faithful. Now, how are we handling the challenges that we're going through right now? I know that I've been all over the place, some days up, some days down, and yet God wants us to handle the challenges with him, with faith, with humility, and with obedience. I'm excited this week we're going to have some quiet times on Philippians 2 to help us with this so that we can continue to find peace under pressure and find that mindset and attitude of Christ. Now is the time that we take communion together. Let's remember Jesus who emptied himself and was obedient even to death on a cross to save each and every one of us. Let's remember the peace that only comes from him, that he's given us a deep well, and I pray that we drink deeply of his strength, of his bravery, of the sharing that we have with him in suffering, of his compassion and love, and ultimately his forgiveness and mercy. God has truly blessed us in an amazing way, and he wants us to fill up and focus on these things. The peace of mind that only he provides. Let us not seek peace, but seek the mindset and attitude of Jesus and let him give us this peace as a byproduct. The tranquility and calmness and surrender, where we trust God and we're free to empty ourselves and know that he's going to take care of us. And that we could experience that peace that passes understanding. And let's recognize him as the prince of peace, that he won the victory. That because of his victory, that we also win. That we can overcome anything that's in our way. Anything that's in our lives right now, that with him, we will be victorious. That every knee will bow. And I pray that all of us will be there in a joyful proclamation exclaiming, Jesus Christ is Lord. Pray with me now as we take the bread and the fruit of the vine that represents his body and his blood. God, we thank you for this time to be together. We pray that you fill us up. God, help us to fill up with the peace that only comes from you. Thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your love and your compassion. Thank you that you know exactly what we're going through. God, I thank you for the peace of mind that you give us when we seek you, when we seek your attitude and the mindset of Jesus. God, please forgive us for advancing our own will or going after our own selfish desires at times. God, help us not to go after and be conceited and think more highly of ourselves, but find a strength and a trust in you. God, thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, that ultimately you conquered death. Not that you weren't powerful before, but you left this earth giving that power to us, that through your victory, that we can be with you and be victorious also. Thank you for the body and blood of Jesus that represent the extent that he would lay down his life for each one of us. And we pray in his name.